to hear an anointed, powerful word that will change your life from Treasure Coast Victory Center. Be blessed as your faith goes from one level of glory to another level of glory. Take your Bibles tonight. Go to Matthew chapter 12. Father, I thank you for another opportunity to share your word tonight. Father, I thank you for opening the eyes of understanding that we may see what you're trying to relate to us through these teachings on Wednesday night. Father, we want to walk in the Spirit, live in the Spirit, be more aware of spiritual things than the natural things. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us on earth to do a purpose and to do a job. And we thank you that with the anointing on the inside, we can get that done. With the wisdom and knowledge you've given each and every one of us, we will use it to your glory and give you praise for everything that gets done through us. In Jesus' name, and everybody said. Amen. All right, go to Matthew chapter 12. We already found out that wrong doctrine basically can take you into a place of unbelief that will allow spiritual entities to influence and come into your life. We also found out that God is a spirit, demons are spirits, people are spirits, angels are spirits. The Word of God is spirit, so everything that we really deal with are spiritual things, so we want to get our eyes more on the spirit than on the natural. In Matthew 12, 43, it says, Jesus is speaking, he says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walks through dry places seeking rest and finding none. Then he saith, I will return unto my house from whence I came out, and when he is come, he finds it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. How many know that's a good start in Scripture right there? Praise God if you're going to get one. Notice this tells you that it is actually possible for demons which have been cast out of someone to call on other demons more wicked than themselves and come back in and re-enter a person. If the person does not pursue the things of God, does not consecrate to Christ. If you read that before this, it's talking about different, different nations and different people who basically repented, but then they didn't continue to repent. In other words, they turned to the Lord, but then they basically, that was as far as they went. They did not repent, which means to change your thoughts and your attitudes to line up with God. So basically, they didn't go any further, and by doing that, they left themselves empty and swept out to a place where demonic influences could once again come in. The demons was cast out, but here it says the person's heart was not filled with good things. Therefore, the demon returned with seven other spirits more wicked than himself. What was the result? The last state of that man was worse than the first state of that man. Now, I'm not talking about you miss church on Sunday and you miss your prayer time and you become possessed. We're not talking about that. We're talking about someone basically who was in alcohol, who was in drugs, who was in some kind of thing basically where they were in total bondage and in the process a demon took control of their feelings and of their emotions and then basically it got cast out. If you remember one scripture that deals about the kingdom of God, it says, if you hunger and you thirst for righteousness, you shall be what? Well, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness after you get delivered or born again, then you will be filled and there's no room for anything else to come back. So after that, you need to pursue God. You need to pursue the kingdom of God and the things of God and the righteousness of God. And when you do that, when you hunger and thirst for righteousness or right standing with God, then you shall be filled. Well, you cannot be filled and empty at the same time. So basically, this is what it's talking about. People who do not repent, basically, they're just receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and then not really receiving him as Lord and Savior because if they would, they would start pursuing the things of God. How many of you, when you got born again, you had, you had a strong urge to pursue the things of God? 
I mean, people come down to the front and they give their lives to Jesus and go back and don't think another thing about the Lord. I question whether they really gave their heart to the Lord or not because there is a change on the inside of you. Nobody had to tell me there was a change when I got born again. Nobody had to give me a scripture. Nobody had to do anything. I knew something else had changed in my life. And all at once my desires changed and what I was going after changed. And when that took place, then I knew that something had taken place. All right, go to John chapter 5. All right, John chapter 5, let's just start in verse 1. It says, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in Hebrew the tongue of Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, blind, halt, withered, waiting for the move of the water. For an angel went down at certain season into the pool, troubled the water, Whosoever then stepped in in the troubling of the water and stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. And when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been there a long time in his case, he said, Will you be made whole? The impotent man answered it and said, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said unto him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, took up his bed and walked. And that was the same day which was the Sabbath day. Here's talking about a man who was crippled how long? Notice 38 years. And Jesus delivered him simply by saying, Take up your bed and walk. At that time he moved into wholeness. In other words, he got free. He got delivered. Basically he got set free after 38 years. Now drop down to verse 14. Later on he runs into this guy again, and afterwards Jesus found him in the temple and said, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest a worse thing could come to thee. Now what is a worse thing that could come to him? Basically we found out in the scripture before that if you do not pursue God, if you do not go after righteousness, basically you remain empty and, and seven more spirits can come into you. So here's another illustration of it, what happened here. Jesus said, hey, now you've been made whole, now go on with the Lord. It's amazing how many people get, get delivered and then just don't go for the Lord. It's amazing how many people get healed. I mean, people on their deathbed, and basically they get delivered, they get a miracle, and they still don't follow the Lord. You think that people would turn to someone, especially after 38 years. How many know this guy shouldn't even been told this? After 38 years, if he finally got delivered, I mean, I'd have followed. I don't care if it was a kangaroo that set me free. I'd have followed that thing. I mean, I'd have been smart enough to do that. So basically, what was he talking about? He was talking about you don't want to go after God for a treatment. You want to go after God for a lifestyle. There's a lot of Christians who don't even follow the Lord. Then once they get in trouble and they want a treatment. And God's gracious enough to give some of them a treatment. But after the treatment, it's time to get him into your life, basically. Get delivered, get on fire for God, get converted and go forth. And you'll have no more problems with demonic people at all. Praise God. All right, go to Mark chapter 3. All right, Mark chapter 3, let's start in verse 9. It says, And Jesus spake to his disciples that a small ship should wait on him because of the multitude, lest they should throng him. For he had healed many, insomuch that they pressed upon him for to touch him, and as many as had plagues. 
and unclean spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. And he straightly charged them that they should not make him known. And he goes up into the mountain and calls unto him whom he would, and they came with him. And he ordained twelve that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach, and to have power to heal the sick, and to do what? cast out devils. So here we see Jesus basically he's going everywhere healing the sick, casting out devils. Notice here it says basically the demons talk to him. Say the demons talk. When you run into somebody who has a spirit in them at some time it may happen, it may never happen I mean depending where you're at and what you run into but when you run into somebody who's demon possessed many times when they know they're in trouble they will speak. They will speak through the person's faculties or through his mouth, basically, that they possess. It will be the demon speaking through the person, not the person. Sometimes they will growl, if you've ever ran into them. Sometimes they will snarl. Sometimes they'll say things, I'm going to kill you, I don't like you, nobody likes you, blah, 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 you can't cast me out. All they're really trying to do is strike up a conversation. One thing you have to understand is demons like attention. The more attention they can get, the more attention they get. And even in meetings, you know, when we have meetings and, and, and a devil basically responds or comes out or makes a noise, basically if you're ever in a situation like that, like that with a lot of people, you're better off getting the person who's having the problem away from you with two other people who can minister to that people rather than have an entire horde of 50 people run out and yell, cast him out, get out, cast him out, go, cast him out. Because all that does is gives attention to the devil to begin with. So if a demon starts manifesting here, I would simply say, come out. If it doesn't work right then, I would send him to the side room here with two of you people, you would go deal with it and you would deal with how we continue with the service. You don't have to make a public scene of the whole thing, but I'll tell you, people like a public scene, so it's very hard for you to not do that, but as you grow and you learn, you understand that they are just trying to get attention, basically, and the more attention they can get, the more attention they will go after. So demon spirits basically can speak. They can say, you know, to Jesus, they said, you're the son of God. They said to Jesus, let us alone. They said, what have you to do with us? They said, have you come to destroy us? They will say, I hate you. Get away from me. I'll kill you. These demons are fearful of someone who they know can cast them out. In other words, when they know, it's almost an indication to you when they growl at you that they're afraid. You know, ah, well, that just reaffirmed to me that you're leaving and I'm staying and everybody's going to be happy before this whole thing's over with, you know. you got to look at it as a confirmation because what they're trying to do is bring fear into you because they thrive on fear. And fear cannot cast anything out, basically. When you're in fear, you cannot do anything. If you're growled at by a spirit and you're fearful, just find two people who aren't, get out of the way and let them take care of it, see. It's better than you getting involved in the thing. And these things are something that happen all the time, but it may happen. So I'm telling you what to do. The first time it happened to me, I mean, did, did I have to check my shorts afterwards? Yes. I mean, you're not used to it. You're talking to people. You're just saying a nice little Jesus prayer over and all at once. Get away from me. I'm going to kill you. And Jesus, wait a minute. See, and at first it shocks you until you understand that it's just a demon spirit, for gosh sakes, that's already been defeated. Come on, already been under Jesus' feet. And it's just trying to destroy someone's life, basically. And the only way they can get attention is to be in a physical body because in the natural realm, without a physical body, how many of you know you don't see much and you don't get much attention? So notice what Jesus did here at the end then to show you what he likes to do. Uh, let's get down to verse 13. 
And he goes up unto a mountain and calls unto him whom he would, and they came to him, and he ordained twelve that they should be with him, that they might send him forth to preach, to have the power to heal and cast out devils. So here it means that not only in Jesus' day was this stuff taking place, that later on in the day people were taking place. So not only with the disciples, when the disciples died, all the demons didn't leave, they're still here. But there's other people growing up to be disciples who can do the same thing, the disciples are here. Now notice what he told them to do in verse 14. And he ordained 12 that they should what? Number one, be with him, preach, and have power too. Notice the first thing, be with him. Yeah. You need to be with him. That's your main thing as a Christian, as a born-again person in the kingdom, to spend time with God, to get to know God's thoughts, to get to know his ways, to fill up with his power. So your number one thing is not to cast out devils, it's not to heal the sick, it's to be with him. Then as a result of being with him, you'll end up casting out devils. Are you following me? It's not a reward for, it's a result of. In other words, God don't say, oh, they spent 10 minutes with me. Now I'm going to make sure this devil goes. No, no, no. You spend time with him and it's a result of what you're doing and spending time with him. And then you see results in your life. Praise God. Hallelujah. All right. Hallelujah. All right, let's go to Acts 16. Never possibly going to get through this tonight, so we'll just go as far as we can and we'll quit. Acts chapter 16. All right, Acts 16, look at verse 16. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination, basically a fortune teller, met us with brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did they many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when their master saw their hope of gain was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers. Okay, so here we see Paul and Silas are walking along, and all at once a woman comes up behind him and says, Hey, these men know the way of salvation. These are men who know the way of salvation. How many know there's nothing wrong with that? Because they were men who showed them the way of salvation. So what were they doing? They were trying to hide themselves, basically, by flattery or by telling them how good these people were. And basically, at that time, Paul felt in his spirit, say, in his spirit. In his spirit. See, now, if he'd been in his head, he'd probably made him the associate pastor. Come on. No, he was in a spirit. He knew there was something going on. There was a lady who came here one time, long time ago. None of you know who it is, so don't even try. And basically, she came in the back, and she came to church a couple times. Every time she came up, said, oh, you're the most anointed preacher I've ever heard. You've changed my life in one week more than anybody, blah, 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 blah. And at first, you know, I said, well, good. I'm glad you came. You know, I'm glad you're changed. And about the fourth time she did it, something in here, say in here, yeah. in here was set off on the inside of me. I said, whoop, ding, 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 something's going on. So she came the fifth week then, and she said, I'm a woman who's got a lot of money, and uh, you know, I'd like to fix her out here. That used to be all kitchen out there. She said, I'm going to fix it. I'm, I'm going to give you money to put in a wall, make a nice entrance where you can put books and stuff, still have the kitchen over there. And I said, well, thank you. That's very nice of you. So basically, she gave us the money, and we did what she wanted to do. Then about after two months, she came up, and she said, you know, I've been praying, 
And the Lord said that your music is way too long and the songs you're playing are too strong. They need to be less. And when you're preaching, you know, you preach about an hour and I think maybe a half hour would be better. So what was she doing? Basically, she was coming in to try to make, take over the service basically by manipulation or something else. So you have to be able to sense that stuff in here because let's face it, everybody in the world wants to be flattered. And people always say, well, we're, we're going to acknowledge Pastor Tom, but I know I don't really like it. It's not that I don't like it. I just want to make sure you're doing it for the right reason. Amen. Amen. Understandeth. So everybody that comes and praises you and glorifies you, that's good. And that's wonderful if their heart's in the right place. But if not, it'll only be a matter of time until they want something from you or trying to do something. So they recognize this. Basically, Paul said, my gosh. Notice he was grieved in his heart. Say grieved in his heart. The word there means he was worn out and he was annoyed. So he said, I command you in the name of Jesus, come out. Now notice, he said in the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus, we don't have time for that tonight, but the name of Jesus is not a lucky charm. It's basically you saying you are operating instead of Jesus. In other words, if Jesus would be here, Jesus would tell you to come out. I'm operating in Jesus' place because he's not here and he's in me and I'm telling you to come out. So you're just doing things in Jesus' name or instead of what Jesus would be doing. And you do that basically because you have the power of attorney because he's given you his name to use in this day and time. Hallelujah. That's good news, isn't it? Amen. If you've ever been a power of attorney, I'll tell you what, it gives you a lot of leeway in other people's affairs. So he has made us power of attorney. And basically, I want you to see right off the bat, look at verse 16. And it came to pass as we did what? Pray. As we went to prayer. Say, went to prayer. Went to prayer. Say it again, went to prayer. Went to prayer. So notice, he went to prayer. They weren't already praying for two hours, then cast the devil out, but they were on their way to. That means they were in a state before they went to prayer to cast the devil out. See, a lot of times when you run into a demon-possessed person, the first thing that comes to your mind is, gosh, I, I haven't prayed in tongues in three days. I haven't read the word in two days. I haven't. Your authority is not really based on the last time you prayed. It's based on you knowing your position. You see, when he tries to disqualify you from casting him out, it's another good sign because he knows you're going to cast him out if he don't disqualify you from casting him out. Everything he does, if you believe the opposite, you're going to do very well. If he says he can't, you say, hallelujah, I can. If he says, I'm not coming out, say, you're on your way then. Praise God. He's a liar and can't tell you the truth. So don't listen to what comes out of somebody's mouth and what they say, praise God. You just do it that way. And I'm, and I'm not saying that everybody who talks like a demon... I'm talking about a different voice and everything that you hear. Some people just agree with the devil more than they agree with God. That don't mean they're demon-possessed. Remember when Jesus says, I'm going to go to the cross, blah, 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 suffer and die. And Peter came up and said, that's not so, Lord, not so. And Jesus said, get behind me. Now, he wasn't possessed. He was just agreeing with the wrong one. So he said, quit talking like the devil and leave me alone, basically is what he was saying. So Peter wasn't possessed, but he was still talking in line with demons, which has an influence on people's life. So not everybody that talks negative talks like the devil, talks in line with the devil, talks evil. It doesn't mean they're possessed. It just must mean they're stupid sometimes. See, they're ignorant of what's going on. They're ignorant of the things of God. They've not renewed their mind. So basically, they're saying things that they shouldn't really be saying. And when they say that, basically, you know, it, it doesn't help their situation or anybody else's, but it does not mean they're possessed, basically. All right, go to Acts chapter 19. Oh, no, let me show you one more thing. Go back there. Look at verse 13. And when her master saw that the hope of gains were gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble us. Now, how many know that if you cast a devil out of somebody, you think people ought to be happy? 
Hey, look what they did. Hallelujah, somebody got free, but it's not that way. Because notice, the people she was working for and using her gift for, they were getting much gain from. So that means if you run into a prostitute on the street and you take her aside and you get her redeemed and you get her delivered and you get the devil out of her, don't think her pimp's going to love you. Same way with a drug dealer. That's right. See, don't think you're going to be loved by everybody when you do this stuff because you're not. If you take money away from somebody, you're in trouble in this world at this time. Because I always tell Becky, just follow the money. But this is going on. Just follow the money, and you're going to follow the problem every time. So basically, when you do this stuff, you can't be in a place where you think you're going to be loved more by the world because you're not going to be loved more by the world. Most of them won't even understand what's going on. So basically, they did it, and they ended up getting beat up and everything else. Hallelujah. All right, go to Acts chapter 19. All right, Acts chapter 19, look at verse 13. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits and the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew and a chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirits answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overcame them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. Fear fell on many of them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Hallelujah. Now how many of you want to cast out a devil? No, here it came to a place basically where these people were watching what was going on. They did not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. They seen other people do it. So they tried to do basically what Paul and what Jesus had already done. And basically when they did it, how many of the sons of Sceva, who they were, basically there were seven of them attacking one demon probably. And how many know they lost? Yes. Didn't work out very well. Glory to God. So this shows you that natural strength will not work against demonic powers. You've got to be born again. You've got to have the Spirit of God on the inside of you. You need to know your authority and the name of Jesus and who you're representing, basically. So it's not for anybody. It's for, for the people who know the Lord and have a relationship with Him. Now notice there were seven of them. Seven men against one demon. And how many know the demon? One. Well, with you, it's different than that. It's not seven natural people. It's one anointed person who's been called, basically. One anointed believer can handle the situation. And you are an anointed being. So don't read these things and think, oh, my God, I don't want to be like the sons of Sceva. You're not if you're born again. You're already different than they are at this time. You've already got the authority. You've already got the anointing. And you've already got the ability to do that. So you've got to read these scriptures. And don't make yourself the sons of Sceva. Don't make yourself the demon-possessed person. Make yourself the person casting out the devil because that's who the person you are. Hallelujah. All right, go to Matthew chapter 8. All right, Matthew chapter 8, let's look at verse 16. It says, When the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and he healed all that were what? 
6. So here it's talking about possessed people, possessed with devils. He cast out spirits and he healed them. This tells me that many times when sickness and disease is involved in someone's life, many times there is also a spirit involved. Now we know the devil is basically the beginning of all sickness, all disease, and the curse. But here it talks about people who was casting the devil out of, and when he did, they basically got healed. So disease is Satan's attack on human beings' bodies. It's never a blessing of God. It's never God's way to teach you something, to instruct you to something. It's always of the devil, and it always comes from the devil. So Satan's work basically is to try to attack the physical body. And many times in sickness and disease, the first thing he attacks you with is fear. Say fear. This is why you need to know the Word of God, because if you know that by His stripes you are healed and you're standing in that position, you need to stay in that position even when you come under attack. See, a lot of times as soon as we get a symptom, we think we've lost. No, that just triggers warning, not you're sick. So now if He can get you as a believer to receive anything, you have the power to receive it. How many of you know that? So if you get a pain here or a pain there and the devil tells you it's this or that and you say, my God, that's it. I, I had the pain this morning and I've got this or I've got that. You just sign for the package. Right, right. See, and everything in the kingdom of God is a seed. So basically if the devil can get a seed in you with a symptom to get you to agree with the symptom or proclaim the sickness that comes with the symptom, you can end up with it. Are you following me? Everybody wants to receive from God. Let me tell you, too many people are receiving from the devil to receive from God half the time. Well, you've got to be able to receive from God by faith, but you receive from the devil by fear, basically. So he'll come and say something. Everything that comes into your life comes as a seed. Say a seed. It's easier to get rid of a symptom right at the beginning than waiting three weeks. If you put up with it, if you think about it, if you diagnose it, if you talk about it, if you do anything, that thing is growing on the inside of you just like the seed of the Word of God gets in you and it grows. And it desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. Well, desire the sincere milk of the devil and you'll go in the wrong direction. It's the same way. It's a seed, basically, and that's what sickness disease comes to do in your life. It comes to play with you right here, right here in your mind. Hallelujah. All right, go to Acts chapter 10. People can come to me and say, you never get sick. I said, that's right, I don't. But they can't come to me and say, I never have a symptom, because I do. All right, Acts chapter 10, very familiar. Look at verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of or under the power of the devil for God was with them. Now Jesus really didn't uh, as you notice he just says things bluntly did you notice that? He doesn't beat around the bush he just comes and he says hey if you're sick you're demon possessed yeah. or demon yeah. oppressed not possessed. Yeah. That's, that's your problem basically. So basically every disease has a germ and a germ causes it to grow. There's an evil life or an evil germ that comes on the inside of mankind and it comes and it is from Satan. Say it is from Satan. This evil life, a lot of times in the Bible, is called a spirit of infirmity. Say spirit, spirit of infirmity. What does this do? It gives life to a disease or a growth, just as your spirit gives life to your physical body. So if your spirit leaves your body, how many of you know you will die? When the spirit of infirmity is cast out of your body, how many know that you are free from that sickness and that disease? As long as the spirit of infirmity exists in the body, the germ or disease lives and continues its destructive work on the inside of you. 
But when the evil life, the spirit of infirmity has been cast out, the disease dies, it will decay and pass out of your body. And this is why modern medicine basically does not, does not set people free. It treats the branches of the seed. You know what I mean by that? The spirit of infirmity on the inside, maybe you've got a sore throat, you take something for it. Maybe you've got a headache, you take something for it. Maybe you've got a pain, you take something for it. But whatever you take for it is not really what needs to be done, although it, no, if you do it, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it, but if you do it, then that causes several other things. Just read the label. So I'm going to take this for this, but then I've got to worry about this and this because I took it. And then when I take something for this, I've got to worry about this, this, and this. You see, they're, they're doing what they can, but what they're doing basically does not take care of the spirit of infirmity. It's just cutting off the branches every time those branches start coming out. You know, like cancer or anything else gets on the inside of you and grows. How many know the seed of cancer must be destroyed in your body? When Jesus spoke to the fig tree, the limbs didn't dry up. The root of the tree dried up and everything on the outside died. He didn't have to curse the branches or the leaves. He just talked to it, went right to the root of the problem, delivered it. That's the same way with the spirit of infirmity. A spirit of infirmity is in your body when it gets in there and basically it needs to be driven out. You can do that by resisting. You can have somebody pray for you and cast the thing out. You can do whatever. You can speak. That's why that, that guy who was here, some of you were here, some of you wasn't, who goes around and teaches basically on you know, healing and going out and evangelizing, he basically has got a very simple prayer that he has you pray that covers everything, basically. So that, and that prayer covers demons. It covers sickness. It covers harassing devils. And basically, it just tells you to be healed. It covers everything. And he's been very successful at that because it hits all. If you ever studied the Osbournes who went overseas and they started preaching and teaching, they went to Africa and Indonesia and some of those places. And they went on the big stage and people would come from all over and they say, Jesus Christ is Lord and he's, he's your Lord and Savior. And the people, you know, the Buddhisms and everything would get up and said, well, our book says that this Buddha is the Lord and Savior. And they said, no, Jesus is. They said, no, Buddha is. And they got in an argument and nothing ever happened. So they came back home and they were very sad about what took place and God spoke to them and he said, if you don't understand that sickness and disease has a spiritual background and it's a spirit of infirmity, you will never be able to convince other people that it works. So they said, oh my gosh, that sounds good. So they went back overseas and they got over there and everybody came up to be healed. They said, come up here and they said, we'll show you whether Buddha or Jesus is. And they said, spirit of infirmity, go. And the spirit left them and they were instantly healed. How many know when they prayed in the name of Buddha, that didn't work out very good because it didn't do a whole lot of stuff. But at that time they discovered, now they were in the ministry a long time. They were going overseas, they were ministering, but they found out there was a spirit of infirmity involved that had to be cast out sometimes in order for people to be set free in the name of Jesus and to be totally delivered, praise God. And when you can see it, we've got things, you know, we've got cancer that comes out that's a seed. And what, what does natural try to do? It tries to take chemo to kill that thing. And it tries to take radiation to kill that thing. But it can't kill that thing without killing all your other things. See, it hurts the natural, too. It hurts your natural body. It hurts the different things in your body. So what they're doing, they're trying to target it, and they're trying to nail it, and that stuff's good. How I many you know some people got through it? Some people live a long time, some people. But then again, if the spirit of cancer or the infirmity is totally removed, how I many know it's a better way to do things? So basically, in the name of Jesus, then we can cast out whatever it is, whatever sickness it is, whatever disease it is. Jesus said, in my name, you will cast out devils. All right, go to Luke chapter 13. All right, Luke chapter 13, look at verse 11. 
And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years and was bowed or bent together and could no wise lift herself up. And when Jesus saw her, he called unto him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed or free from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day, and said unto the people, There are six days in which men ought to work, in them therefore come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Well, they were coming any day of the week there, and weren't getting anything done to matter the Sabbath day or not. Verse 15. And the Lord then answered him and said, Thou hypocrite, does not each of one of you on the Sabbath loosen his ox or his ass from the stall and lead them to watering? And ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, lo, these 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? So here we see a woman. She had a spirit of infirmity. Say spirit of infirmity. How long did she have it? 18 years. Now notice if she would have not ran into Jesus, she'd have ran into a doctor. I'm sure they would have said you have arthritis of the spine, you have a displaced vertebrae, you have this, you have that, because that's all they know in the natural realm. But notice the real problem here was not arthritis, it was a spirit of infirmity. When he cast out the spirit, basically he rebuked Satan's oppression on this lady and she was healed. How many of you know she could have took Doan's pills for years? I mean, she could have put a hot compress on her for centuries, and it may not worked because that was not the problem. Would it have helped? Probably it would have helped her symptoms. But notice here it was called a spirit of infirmity in her life. All right, go to Matthew chapter 12. All right, Matthew chapter 12, look at verse 22. Then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him insomuch that the blind and the dumb both spake and they saw. So here we see a person with a problem, one possessed with a devil. They were blind and they were also dumb. They couldn't speak. When the devil was cast out, the blind could and the dumb could speak. So a blind spirit basically was causing the blindness in this man. Do I believe that everybody who's blind has a blind spirit? No, I don't believe that. I believe that we can discern spirits, though, as the Word of God says we can, and know when that is the problem and when it isn't. But notice when the blind spirit left, he could see. When the dumb spirit left, of course, they're all dumb, but this was the dumb spirit of the man who couldn't speak. When the spirits are cast out, notice what happens. Things get better. Say, things get better. All right, go to Mark chapter 1. You've got to come to a place through your studies and through your time with the Lord to where you don't get overboard or underboard when it comes to this stuff. You can be underboard, just believe demons aren't even around, not doing anything anymore. We don't even want to talk about them. We want to, don't even don't do anything with them. And then you get to a point where everything's a devil. I mean, somebody walking down the street with a dog, I see a devil there, I see a devil there, I see a devil there. There's something called balance, how I many you know balance? So don't get overrided on it, just follow the Spirit of God who you have on the inside of you. All right, Mark chapter 1. Look at verse 40. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If you will, you can make me clean. 
And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and touched him, and said unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had what? Spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. Once again, it talks about as soon as he had spoken. Say spoken. Now we know what Jesus spoke because what he was. He was the word of God. So he always spoke the word of God. Why is the word of God so effective against demon spirits? Because the word of God is spirit and it is life. It is a spiritual force. It is God's word. It is Jesus in the flesh. It is the power of God that sets people free. You have to fight flesh with flesh and spirit with spirit. In other words, your battle is always against spirit, so you have to fight in the spiritual realm. Now, notice his mindset here. This person had leprosy. Say leprosy. leprosy. How many of you know what leprosy was probably the most feared thing back in that day and that hour you could probably have? But notice Jesus, he knew his rights. He knew who he was. He knew, wasn't worried about anything. The Bible says he reached up and he touched the man. How many of you know, not too many people were probably happy about that. And I would guess he didn't have a mask on. Maybe he did. I don't know. It doesn't say in here. He might have had one on, might have not had one on. I don't really know. But he certainly wasn't six feet apart. And he touched the man. Why was that? He was not afraid of sickness or disease because he knew who he was and where he stood. Therefore, he had power over the enemy and power even over leprosy, which is the most feared thing. Actually, sickness and disease, anything that attacks your body to God is not bigger. It's just to you bigger. In other words, a snotty nose is not any bigger than cancer to God. It's all demonic stuff to him. To us, how many know it's bigger? They can say, you know, you got, you got a hangnail and you ain't going to get too worried. But they tell you you got something bigger than that, you know, you got cancer, then you're going to be a little bit nervous, aren't you? And basically that's because it's the way we think. But all of it is the same thing. It's demonic oppression. And when you label it, you can put everything right under demonic oppression. And you can treat it and attack it the same way with the word of the living God. All right, go to Luke chapter 4. All right, Luke chapter 4, look at verse 38. And Jesus arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. And Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever, and they besought him to her. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and ministered unto them. Here it says somebody who had a fever. It was basically Peter's mother-in-law who had a fever. And basically they came and they said, Jesus, Peter's mother-in-law has a fever. What are you going to do about it? Notice he did not say, well, where's your bottle of Tylenol? Come on, where's your bottle of aspirin? Where's your bottle of pain reliever? Why is that? Because Jesus thought differently than we do. But as kingdom citizens, how many know we can think like he does? We can understand that we have authority over a fever. We can speak to that fever, and that fever, once it's rebuked, it will go because it is a spiritual personality once again. Now, we were never taught this as kids, and that's why it's so important that children learn at a young age that, and so they can do this stuff. Just get off me or get away from me or whatever. Not, oh, Mommy, oh, don't worry, I got the baby aspirin right here. Oh, they taste good. Have three of them then, and we'll give you another two. <laughs> You know, and this is the way we thought the whole time. We just leave this stuff go. We just treat it the natural way. We just take an aspirin. But notice, you have authority over this stuff. Until you take authority over a fever and win the victory, you're not going to take authority over anything bigger than that and get the victory because it's about, you know, the power in you is what you ask or what you think. So if I don't think i got power over a fever, but I do over a hangnail, then I'm going to be all right hangnail free, but I'm still going to have fevers all the time that come and challenge you. So basically, he rebuked the fever. In other words, he talked to the fever 
How many know most people would put you in a straight jacket right there? You don't talk to fevers. Well, you do in the kingdom of God. It's a different way of thinking. It's a different way of operating. So the fever was still of the devil. So basically it was rebuked, and what was rebuked, it went. Now doctors may call it arthritis. They can call it a binding whatever. They can call undeveloped focal cords when you're trying to speak. They can call you all these things. But notice many times it is a spirit of infirmity that is involved in the situation, and you have authority over those things. And the more you practice, the better you get. That's just the way it is in the natural realm and in the spiritual realm. The more you practice, the more it becomes normal and real to you because you have the authority that Jesus says that you have. And even specialists will come up with a name. You're, you're never going to, I never heard of anybody go to a doctor or a specialist and, and the specialist just said, it's a spirit of infirmity. <laughs> I know it is. Do I have to take any more x-rays? We don't have to do any MRIs or NRTs or PTQs. It's a spirit of infirmity. I heard it when I put my stethoscope there. I heard him talking in there. No, it's not going to be there, is it? So there's going to be times when they can't help you in situations because they're not attacking what needs to be attacked to begin with. They're just doing what they can do. And once again, how many know doctors are good? And medicine is decent, but there's a better way to do things in the spirit realm and in the kingdom of God. And that's what the power and authority Jesus gave us over demon spirits. All right, go to Mark chapter 1. And you can come to a place as you practice this stuff and you study it and you look at it and you meditate on it that basically it becomes a natural way of doing things for you. Up until that time, you know, when it first happened to me, I always thought about what happens if this doesn't happen or what happens if that doesn't happen or there's people around or whatever. And I got to a place one time very quickly after a couple of years because I I was studying this stuff all the time to where we were at uh, one of those, uh, I think they're called trunk or treats, but this was in an actual church in their gym. They had games, they had all this stuff and everything where you go around and you could win candy and all this. And I was with a couple friends of ours, basically, and uh, she said that she'd had a, oh, she said, oh my gosh, I've had this stupid migraine headache since 7 o'clock this morning. And without thinking, say without thinking, I walked over to her in the middle of many people there, put my hands on her head and said, come out in the name of Jesus. How I many you know, it got quiet. <laughs> trunk or treat, stop trunking and treating. Everything closed down, but it left. And you could just see her eyes change and everything else. She said, my God, it's gone. It's gone. And I didn't have time. Now, if I'd had time to think, I wanted to bother trunk or treat. I'd have got her off to the side, hidden in the woods someplace, and yelled, come out. That way, if it didn't come out, only me and her would have known, and nobody else would have known to begin with. But you come to a place where you just see it, and you, you, you get, I don't want to say it's a hatred, but it is, a hatred of sickness and disease, a hatred of demonic stuff that gets on the inside of you and you just can't stand it anymore you're so tired of people being put down by that scumbag you just want to do something about it when you get that way in your heart then you just start doing things without thinking about things and this wasn't the first time I ever did anything like that you know how many once again you grow in this stuff I mean when I was at the Catholic Charismatic Prayer Meeting I ran into some stuff man I haven't seen since and I don't really know if I want to see it again you know there's people there who were, were actually really demon-possessed, and I think they had the big D in some of them, the way it looked to me, <laughs> that I ran into. But you ran into people. I was not skillful that time. I did not really know what to do. I'd not done it anymore, but some of the first ones that I saw were ones that would definitely scare you, basically. So you've got to grow in this stuff. You've got to you know, use the wisdom of the Spirit of God on the inside of you and, and start someplace. You know, st- if you want to start someplace, start with yourself. 
See? Rebuke that fever off you. Rebuke that pain off you. Rebuke that. Then get it out of your mouth unless it's, it's victory. We come at everything from a victory point, not from a victim point. So I want to be in a victory place, praise God. All right, Mark chapter 1. Look at verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. Now notice his teaching must have been different than what they'd been getting in there. In other words, what he was teaching was absolute 100% truth with no watered down whatever. It was just nailing people, basically. And they, people noticed that he was teaching with authority and with power. Verse 23, And there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know who thee art, the Holy One of God. Now, I mean, that's a pretty good paragraph. You don't see that very often. He really put something together there. What was he trying to do? He was trying to make a commotion, number one, and he was trying to test Jesus to find out what was going on. Now, how many of you know this was a Sunday or whenever they had it in the synagogue, which is a church back then? This guy was in the church. Say, this guy was in the church. Now, how many know this does not say this was the first time he was in the church? He had been coming to church for years when he was coming in there. And when the man of God preached the word with power, straightforward, and the anointing of God, it made the spirit in him cry out and manifest. Notice the presence of God and the power of God will make people manifest. It'll get that spirit nervous. And people say sometimes, you know, I used to do meetings in the Catholic charismatic prayer meeting and someone had a demonic problem that came out and some old lady came up to me at the end and she said, whenever you come here and teach, you, you bring those demons with you. Well, how many know those demons were there long before I got there? And basically all I was doing was shining the light on the devil so he could be seen. You know, we could turn off the lights and here it could be roaches running around all over and you wouldn't care at all. I'd turn on the lights, they'd be everywhere. And you'd say, the light brought the roaches. No, it didn't. The roaches were already there. You just turned on the light so you could see them, basically. So the word is preached and the praise and worship that goes forth in the power of God. That's why it's so important to have a body of believers in unity. And that's why we preach the word as the word is. We don't water it down. We don't put it another way. Does it bother people? Yes. Does it offend people? Sometimes. Does it make people think? Yes, sometimes. We preach here that you can cast out the devil. How many of you know that you can? We don't say you might be able to. You may be able to. We preach that you are healed from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. How many know? That's what the word of God says. Now, if that's the first time you heard that, you're not going to probably believe that. You may believe it after you leave here, but that's something you grow into and start to understand and see the scriptures where it convinces you that you've been healed from the top of your head to the soles of your feet, basically. So you don't want to, you know, run out and do a bunch of crazy stuff. You know, Kenneth Copeland used to say, I'd preach a meeting where everybody's healed and everybody that left the place would dump their medicine down the sink and then they'd feel real terrible and come back to me and get mad at me. And he said, I never told you to dump your medicine down the sink. I told you to grow up in the things of God. I mean, you know, this is for all of us. There's times I rebuked the fever off me and after two days I took an aspirin. A long time ago. You know what I mean? It was a long time ago, but I mean, I didn't start out saying go and it just left right away. I had to stand a little bit. The Bible says you need to stand, praise God. You need to see if the word's true. That one scripture read about Paul rebuked that lady and it came out the same day. Not right then, the same day. So how many know you're glad Paul didn't go, well, I tried to cast it out, but it didn't work for me. I hope that devil just gets out of there somehow. No, he must have stayed in faith for what he said and did in order for that to take place in their life. A lot of times it's instant, a lot of times it's not, and if it's not, you've got to stand. 
therefore stand in the victory where the Christ has set you free if it's not instant. And most people want an instant feeling, an instant touch, an instant something. Sometimes it doesn't work that way. But if you stand, you're going to find out, is God a liar or not? That's where I always go. God said, I'm healed. Is he a liar or not? No. It's not a question of whether I have faith. Is he a liar or not? He said, I'm healed. Well, if I don't think I'm healed, then he's a liar. But if I am healed, then he's not a liar. So I'm not going to make him a liar. I'm going to bless God I'm healed. That's all the way there is to How you feel? I don't care how I feel. He doesn't lie. And he said, I'm healed. I'm gonna be. So what am I going to do? I'm going to learn to stand, aren't I? I'm going to stretch my faith muscles. I'm going to stretch my spiritual muscles, my word muscle. What am I doing? I'm growing in the things of God till I come to a place to become where it becomes natural for you. Like we always talk about just like salvation. Nobody's got to convince you that you're saved now. You know you're saved. Nobody's got to convince you when you die you're going to heaven. You're not going to lay in your deathbed and say, oh, I wonder where I'm going. You know where you're going. God could appear to you now say, you want to go? Yeah. And you'd go right out of here, praise God, and go. It's the same way. You grow that way in health. You grow that way in authority. You grow that way in casting out devils. You grow that. But if you don't start someplace, you never go anywhere. You've got to understand this is a natural way of life for us. This is where we stand. We stand in this stuff, and by standing in it, we slowly grow into it, and we change our mind. We change our imagination. We're starting to see things as God sees it. The Word of God gets on the inside of you. It starts to grow and expand on the inside of you till the Word of God gets bigger than the natural realm. You read Acts, and the Bible says when they preached the Word, the Word prevailed at that time. What did it prevail after? Their old thought life. It started prevailing, and what happened? The Bible says revival broke out. What is revival? Just getting people to think like God in a group. And when they do that, the power of God starts to flow and the anointing of God starts to operate in people's lives. All right, where are we? 25. And Jesus rebuked him saying, hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean what? Spirit had torn him, little commotion, and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. So here we see a man. What, is, what was this man's problem? Was it a bad attitude? Was it he was troubled? Bad feeling? No, he had an unclean what? And notice the spirit once again cried out. How many know it spoke through the man? Spoke through his mouth. He knew who Jesus was. He knew what was coming. He knew he had nothing to do with Jesus. And Jesus, notice, did not pray for healing for the man. He did not pray, oh, brother, I speak peace into your life. He told the devil, basically, hold thy peace, shut up, and come out. So Jesus used his power. He used his authority in this situation. He cast the devil out because the devil was subject unto him. Now, how many know the church has the same authority? Mark 16 says, These signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. They shall heal the sick. They shall pray in new tongues. And if they drink anything deadly, it shall not harm them. Praise God. Now, what do you think in most churches if the guy would have got up and screamed? Number one, the ushers probably would have got him out the back door. They probably would have threw him out the back door. Not understanding that it was something more than just this man not being nice or, or not whatever, but there was a spirit involved, an unclean spirit. So demon spirits are real. Say they're real. How many of you know they are attacking men today? Look at verse 27. And they were all amazed in so much that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine or teaching is this? For with authority commands he the unclean spirits, and they do what? They obey him. So notice, what was the issue here? Basically, they were all shocked at what he was doing when he cast out a devil. Sound familiar? They were all shocked. Couldn't believe it when he cast out a devil. So when you cast out a devil sometime, there's other people around. They just may be shocked and wondered what the heck you're doing and wondered where in the heck you go to church because we don't want to go there, that's for sure. 
And there's, and there's people who, you know, well, I bring somebody to TCVC, but sometimes it gets so crazy in there. We just don't want that to happen. And how many of you brought people? I have. I brought people to the uh, one church one time where the power of God was moving, and I was so glad to get them there. But then after I got there, all the thoughts started going through my head. What the heck is the Spirit of God going to do? And pretty soon during praise and worship, I'm praying, don't move tonight. Don't move tonight. Don't move tonight. This person needs to be saved. Don't move tonight. Don't fall. Don't let anybody laugh. Don't let anybody fall down. Don't do it tonight. Not tonight, Lord. See, because I thought it was going to scare their pants off. They were going to run out and never come back. I didn't understand that the Holy Ghost knew what he was doing. See, I didn't know. And sometimes a movement would happen and people would get all excited about it. And there's other people that never came back again. Well, at least I, I showed it that it was real and that it was there and it was happening. I knew that's what God wanted me to do. But it was up to them how deep they were in fear, basically in order for it to take place. So notice, it's a new doctrine, and almost in this day and and hour, it's almost a new doctrine. How many of you know that? In the church right now, you you can't go to many churches where they're healing the sick and casting out devils. You can't go to many churches where people are getting touched in the spirit, and people are breaking out in laughter, and people are all those things. You don't see it happening in many churches, because many Christians aren't ready for that yet. They have not grown into that. But that's part of natural, spiritual kingdom working. And everybody thinks there's something matter with this church, something matter with that church. No, there's something matter with you. Yeah. Hallelujah. Because if you remember when the church was burst on the day of Pentecost, they thought they were all drunk. If you go to a church where you look around and everybody's sober, you better find another church. <laughs> Come on, that's what we've been taught. The more you cry and the more prune-faced you look, the more devout you are. It's not that way, praise God. The Bible says God is in heaven and he sits there and laughs, praise God. I mean, no, he's having a good time up there. So his kids should be having a good time down here. Praise God. Hallelujah. So notice, he cast him out, got rid of him. A large part of ministry then sometime or sooner or later, you're going to run into someone who is demon-possessed. If you run into someone that you know is demon-possessed, you're a little nervous about it, find someone who knows what they're doing, been doing it. Call James. Call me. Call somebody who's done it. Do you understand? And then do it with them. Praise God. But don't call the entire church again. So they're laying on the ground, everybody's yelling, come out, go, go. Hell, the devil don't know what to do. He's doing whether to come out or go or go left or right to hell or heaven or behind the rock or wherever. Just relax a little bit. For goodness sakes, everybody, take a breath. Praise God. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, I've seen some things. All right, go to Hebrews chapter 9. All right, Hebrews chapter 9, look at verse 12. It says, Neither Jesus by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered into the holy place, having upturned an eternal redemption for who? For us. Say eternal. Notice, your redemption that you have from Jesus Christ by the blood is eternal. It's not today it's good, tomorrow it's not, I feel good so it's good, it's not. No, you have an eternal redemption, and in order to get a eternal redemption from you, it had to be an eternal defeat of the devil. In other words, the devil is fully defeated. And people say, well, if that's the case, why are so many Christians basically in bondage and sickness and disease? Well, many of them do not know as much as you know tonight, and they've been in church 50 years. Because it doesn't, you can't walk around in unbelief. You can't walk around not even knowing that there's demons there. And there's a lot of spirits who are defeated. They know they're defeated, but they're not done yet. How I many know they're going to try to do whatever they are allowed to do? They prowl around seeking whom they may devour. Well, don't be one of those that they may devour, and you won't have to worry about it. Basically, demons are operating illegally. 
in the earth realm right now. They have no authority. They have no power. They have nothing here in order to do it. They have to be given permission in your life in order to do that. Christ came. He destroyed the wicked spirits of Satan. He has overcome them and has given us power and authority over all devils. Satan resents this and he definitely despises each and every one of us. Jesus bestowed on every believer the right to use the name of Jesus. Say the name of Jesus. The sword of the Spirit. Say the sword of the Spirit. What is the sword of the Spirit? The Word of God. We need never fear nor tremble, but only be strong, bold in faith with the whole armor of God. We are to resist Satan in the name of Jesus. Cast him out when we run into him and use the sword of the Spirit to do it. We can defeat every opposing force that comes into our way because we've been born again, filled with the Spirit, and given the authority of God. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you for your word tonight. I thank you for opening our eyes to new things, new spiritual things. I thank you, Lord, that we just walk in the kingdom ways. We walk through our authority. We walk in our power. We start exercising in our own life to keep ourselves totally free in every single area of our life. And as we do that, Father, we will develop a place to where we will cast out demons, heal the sick, and set your captives free. Father, we love you. We thank you for everything that Jesus has done. We thank you that we are eternally redeemed by the blood which he brought into the holiest of holies. And we just thank you and worship you in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right. Praise God. the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added on